Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. And I'll tell you what, if the show is half as lively as the round we've just had off air uh, over, yeah, TV coverage, bias. I'm not sure Andy Andy will get into in, in, into this because otherwise we'll ruin his column, but his column will be good <laughs> read, to, to, to be honest tomorrow. Blimey, don't miss that. But we are going to, we are going to touch on kind of commentary. TV coverage a little bit later is that and finally slot. But there's lots to go at first, actually, with Liverpool. What's gone wrong there? Blimey, they did they put some of it right last night um against RB Leipzig? Certainly, certainly looked it. What a great night for, for the Champions League. Man City is the quadruple still on. Big week for Chelsea. Um, let's have some Man United chat and North London Derby looking at that, looking at that. Plenty to chew over and discuss with my colleague Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, uh, Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star, Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado, Rothman's Collector Supreme of the Daily Express. Morning to you guys. Thanks so much for joining. It's nice to uh, nice to see you all. Uh, Andy's ready for the reopening of golf courses, as you might see. Um, if you're watching, if not, then, uh, yeah, there's a Belisha beacon make it missing some 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 uh, dye there on that T-shirt. Um, right, guys, let's start with Liverpool. Uh, uh, what, what, what's gone wrong? I, I, I mean, what's gone right? And, and frankly, if ever there was a week in the, in the, in the life of Jurgen Klopp and Anfield and, and they finally win a home game, but it's a thousand miles from home. Um, I don't know whether that tells us something really, uh, whether it's kind of all, all, all in the mind or, uh, or, or, or what else really, because that was a very, very impressive result against RB's, RB Leipzig, who I have to say looked very, very average to me. Um, very surprising that, bearing in mind the previous results and performances, which have been quite good. Um, was that Liverpool or was that RB Leipzig looking poor? I don't know quite. But guys, what do we think? It is, you know, Andy, you, you covered it, you watched it, didn't you? It's, yeah. you know, where do you think we're going there with with Liverpool? Has this season told us that Jurgen Klopp needs a bit of a reboot? What's required? Uh, yeah, well, in a broad sense, yes. Just specifically, let's talk about what happened last night um, and the changes that were made. And everything is with the caveats, as you quite rightly say, is RB Leipzig, quite how they're within one win, I think two points off Bayern Munich at the top of the Bundesliga, eight points cleared the third place team. It's quite hard to fathom, judged on the evidence mm. of those of those two um two games, the first and second legs against Liverpool. You know, we shouldn't just judge them on that, but certainly, you know, they they, they look nowhere near say the standard that would be required to be second in the Premier League, you know, and I'm I'm not a great one for saying that our league's any better than any other top European league. But certainly look that way. You know, all throughout the team they were very, very disappointing. You, you, you know, and, and when we think that much loaded players like Upper Meccano, you, you know, really didn't fail to justify all the hype that we've seen. Yeah, he's going to Bayern Munich and they don't make many mistakes and they've seen enough of him um to take him so we can maybe write that off as, as a couple of bad games for him although we did make a few interceptions last night and a couple of bad games for Nagelsmann and Leipzig mm. so that's the first thing to say is that is that they didn't play particularly well however if you then go on one specific element to last night's game I think that that, that maybe will be something you could actually broaden out for the whole run that Liverpool have had is that you've got Fabinho in central midfield you know, and that's the first time he's played there since the Merseyside derby when um, when Virgil van Dijk was injured by Jordan Pickford. 
Now, you know, that is now you cannot lay all Liverpool's problems at the door of that um, A, injury and B, tactical reshuffle that Clough thought was necessary to have, to have Fabinho play in the sense of defence. But, but by the looks of it, by the evidence of last night, and by the evidence of the games that they've lost, it's got a hell of a lot to do with it. I mean, it really has. You, you know, I mean, it, it goes without saying that if you take Fabinho out of that centre midfield and put him in central defence, your central defence is normally weakened because it is, because as good as he is there, he's, he's, he's no Virgil van Dijk. So, so that is, you know, you're not as good there anyway. But then you're missing him from the centre of midfield. And particularly, you know, in some of those games that they've lost, you've actually looked at it and you thought, you know, it just doesn't work this having having Fabino and when he was fit, Henderson there, mm. because you are losing those two key players out of the midfield. And you're you're not putting enough pressure on the ball there in that area, which is always Liverpool's thing. So when you haven't got that pressure on the ball there, teams find it very easy to, to get the ball there and to and then take advantage of your high line. And Chelsea did it perfectly in their win at Anfield. So I think what you would take, if there's one tactical element to last night's game that you would broaden out and say this has had a big influence on Liverpool's domestic struggles, it's it's Fabinho. And, and, and the restoration of Fabinho to midfield last night, playing alongside an outstanding Genie Wijnaldum, you know, Thiago had a bit more freedom than, 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 than he would possibly have in the Premier League and he hasn't enjoyed that in the Premier League. Um, but certainly, I, if you're Jurgen Klopp, surely you look at that and you think, you know what, the Fabinho centre-half um, tactic, ruse, trick, call it what you want, you know, we can't go back to that. Liverpool cannot go back to that, he must be thinking. And I think that's yeah. what that's the biggest takeout from that because fundamentally that was a performance last night that, that was you know was the old days wasn't it I mean it, mm. it, it was the old days you know it, it was you know substitute Firmino uh, jotted in for Firmino and you've got you know Mane and Salah flying they're creating a lot of chances and okay again even though it was a home game <laughs> you know it, the onus was on Leipzig to come out of Liverpool um, obviously the venue wasn't at home and they, they were allowed to, to to attack Leipzig on the counter. Which of course they did. Remember in that first half when Jota just pinged one over the top there, and um, no Thiago wasn't it? I think, and um, Salah was clear, so they won't get that freedom in the Premier League. But, but what I would say, Johnny, is that would be my most important take from that watching that last night's game is Fabinho central midfield, nowhere else. No, you've got you've got to play in there, haven't you? you yes. Know, maybe find a way centre half wise to 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 do that. Mm. I'll tell you what, Jeremy. It's also interesting that basically, I, I, I've been sort of noting this with, with with interest, really, and just thinking if I had a one pound coin for every pundit who starts a question <laughs> by saying, "Now we're not going to say that Jurgen Klopp's job is on the line, or that Jurgen Klopp is under pressure," <laughs> comma. But we're going to say exactly that and then pose the question. So to me, that is playing, you know, you, you're being a scaredy cat there. You, you're playing at journalism, really. You, you, you want to ask the question, but you're too afraid to do so. So come on, step forward. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Some I think that basically Liverpool, in my mind, are never, ever going in that territory because of what they've achieved in the last couple of seasons. You know, the title... The Champions League. I mean, <laughs> in my view, he's just got a, he's got a statue for life. But you know, does I don't think that uh, personally. I don't feel that there. I am examining it myself. But I, I personally, I don't feel he's under in under any threat. And therefore, that you know, what Liverpool need to do next is completely re-examine the squad, isn't it? 
if you had a pound for every time somebody said that, you'd be even richer than you already are. <laughs> I wish, Jeremy. I wish. Yeah, look, it's almost ridiculous to even question Klopp's position there because, like you said, he's transformed that team since he took over, you know, last season they were the best team in the world. He's had difficult circumstances to contend with this season. Um on and off the pitch. Yes, they've had a terrible run. Yes, he made a mistake in probably not strengthening when they were at the top. You know, mm. didn't 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 take the team on in terms of making it stronger, having a deeper squad. I think that was a mistake. And also he's been accused of um, not being flexible enough in terms of adapting to different situations. He's quite stubborn in his approach and doesn't seem to have a plan. A plan B, let alone a plan C. He thinks it works. He's still convinced it will. And he will be thinking already about next season and who he's going to get back. They'll be a force again next season for sure. Van Dyke will make such a difference. Gomez. Henderson will be back in midfield. I'm not sure about the front three, to be honest. I'm not sure if they're going to be still there or in that unit next season. I'm not sure, but... You know, that's, what that's, my point, that's my point. That's my point, I think. I, 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 I'm not sure that the last couple of weeks has played out well for Salah. I, I don't think he's I don't think he's been a great leader. His agent's not doing any favours, has he? No, absolutely. And and sometimes you get that, you get that, don't you, as a what, barometer. What, yeah. What worries me about they need a shake up. They've been so great, but every yeah. every amazing thing comes to an end, doesn't it? Well, look, they are a team. Going down, they're not. They're not on, mm. still on the rise. They've hit their peak, and they are now, you know, going in reverse. That's we've seen that clearly this season. Um, and look, it's hard. We know how hard it is to, to stay at that, that, those levels. That you know, they play with such intensity, and you know, they've achieved so much. You can't keep, carry that on for four or five years. It's impossible. I, I, what he needs I, to do is create a team. He needs, he needs to know that he has the backing of the owners in the summer and he can sign. I'm not saying they need mass signings. They need two or three top quality players probably because as we've seen with City this season, your squad is so important. And that's why City are running away with it because they can make five or six changes. They can they can absorb three or four injuries and still be a force. Um, and that's the issue for Liverpool. They don't have enough strength in depth. Um, so... That's something he needs to look at in the summer. Will the board back him? Who knows? I mean, you know, they had ages to line up someone to replace Van Dyke, didn't they? they? Had months and months. They knew how long he was going to be out for. And they didn't sign anyone. Not, not the did at the end, but not nothing of any significance. So that would worry me as a Liverpool fan. But what would also worry me about as a Liverpool fan is last night they played like a team. They were playing in the only competition left to win this season. So they, they, the players probably still think they can have a get to the final, maybe win it even. I don't think mm. they will. That defence is not good enough to win the Champions League because you can't bluff your way through a Champions League. It's too the quality is too high. So, um, but yeah, look, they're, they're, they're in the league. The, the league's gone now. It went ages ago, and they they're performing like a team that in the league just wants the season to get to to a conclusion so they can reboot in the summer. Whereas last night, you know, that's the only trophy they can win this season. So they raised the game. They look more like their old selves and they played really well. So, yeah, there's a, there are issues to do. With, but to answer your original question, Klopp has got so much credit in the bank and I can't imagine how bad it would have to get for them to even think about mm-hmm. sacking him. 
No, a lot worse than this. Yeah, I have to say. But Matt, what what one one big burning issue is 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 Wolves Monday night is huge in the in the context of can Liverpool make top four? They need to start winning games. It's away from home, so they'll be relieved probably. But they do need to start winning some games, Matt, don't they? Well, I mean, they started last night, didn't they? And that'll make a big difference to the yep. mood. Um, what I'd say about Klopp is this next season is the measure of, of whether he's a good football manager or a great football manager. I think the key to being a great football manager, as Jeremy was alluding to, was re- changing things up and reinventing sides, as Pep has done this season, as Sir Alex Ferguson did about four or five times during his tenure at Manchester United. He's got to be ready to make the changes. I mean, it's, no one's talking about getting rid of Jurgen Klopp, um, but he has to hold his hands up. He can't just come out last night and say, Oh, you know, everyone knows that Yeah, it's, it's clear that um, Fabinho is one of the greatest number sixes in the world. Well, if it's that clear, don't stick him in central defence. You're effectively making Harry Kane take corners. It's that kind of decision, isn't it? You know, you've got someone who is a world-class player. You put him in his world-class position. So that's a mistake by the manager. And I think Klopp has to hold his hands up to that. Because with that whole way he handled, handled that Virgil van Dijk, I think he thought he was getting away with one by thinking... Oh, we can tuck him in there, but actually, he should—he's paid the big bucks to to see the bigger picture, and I think he's he's taking his eye off the ball on that one, and he needs to hold his head up. Doesn't make him a bad manager, and you know, lesson learned, he can go again in the summer. But I do think he needs to freshen things up. In terms of the running for this season, um, I disagree with Jeremy. I don't think you have to be the best team. I think you can bluff your way to the Champions League. Um, Chelsea weren't the best team in Europe in 2012. Liverpool weren't the best team in the competition in 2005. Uh, you know, they, they were, you know, you, you get, win a few lucky games that, you know, Barcelona have gone. That's a big sort of uh, tea giant, although not, you know, shade of their former selves. You know, luck of the draw, you know, a hard-fought win or, or a draw, you know, backs against the wall. Lucky ball-over-the-line decision like Liverpool got back in, I think it was that 2005 or 2007 at Chelsea um, to get to the final. Um, and suddenly you're there. So I think their best chance is beginning to look like finishing, um, you know, winning the Champions League is their best chance of getting there. Uh, that said, they'll want to finish top four. They won't want to be relying on that. They want to fight on all sides. So, yeah, Wolves is a big game, but but I think they can go into that game on a far better footing after last night's result. Um, and I think a lot of the psychological damage, you know, will be off them until they get back to Anfield and have that particular run to, mm. to, to end. Because the sooner that ends, the sooner their problems finish. Yeah, I guess they have to seize this opportunity as a step forward. It's felt like we've been here a few times before and they've not seized that opportunity. I'm, I am going to sort of switch because we've got so much to talk about today to Man, to Man City. Jer- Jeremy, you were at uh, the Etihad last night, weren't you? And the... Mm-hmm. You know, it's been an interesting week, actually, isn't it? Because Man City actually finally lose a football match, which has been remarkable. And at times, Southampton flirted with giving them a bit of a bit of a game, didn't they? They could sort of go them a bloody nose on a couple of occasions, sort of particularly defensively. So yeah. has this week told us anything? Because, uh, you know, we're probably before, you know, the, the last weekend, we, we were sort of saying, oh, quadruple, you know, yeah, it's on. You know, has this week told us that they're not, Absolutely indestructible, and the, the top four, you know, winning all four is going to be hard. Yeah, look, they're, they're, they're human. They, they're just a football team. They're a very, very good football team. But look, they they, they deserved a loss to United, fair play to United. 
it will kill Guardiola that the run was ended by United of all teams because you know mm-hmm. I know United are second in the table, but they're 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 a pretty average team, United in my opinion. They're not they're not a wonderful side to watch uh, in particular. So, but that yeah, so that will disappoint him. But you know he was fair enough afterwards. He said, look, they congratulations to them, they deserved it, and then he was right. They had an off day. It was just one of those days that they just didn't click, and um, you know you can't be. You can't be wonderful every week. That's just a fact of life, isn't it? But, um, you know, that you know, last night, actually, it was funny because after about 20 minutes, Southampton were actually dominating the ball and we were looking at each other in the press box going, hmm, this might be something special here going on. <laughs> we might have to do some work here. Pepin <laughs> <laughs> <Pepping> crisis. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and then, you know, fair play to Southampton, you know, obviously the last time they were in Manchester got tonked 9-0, so it's not, not the place they'd want to be. <laughs> but um, they played well, Southampton. They showed signs overall. I know they got lost, they lost mm. 5-2 in the end, but um, they showed signs that, and we'll probably come on to the relegation thing later, but they showed signs that they'll probably stay up. They've got enough quality and enough mm. endeavour. But, no, City, Look, they're just they're just scoring the scored the scoring bursts and they scored twice in ten minutes before half time and it, it was it was game over really to be honest by by then. But yeah, look, quadruple. I just think it's possible. I mean, it's it's crazy we've been talking about it, but they've won the league probably haven't they already? Um, you'd fans them to beat Tottenham at Wembley. Um, they're still in the FA Cup, obviously. The Champions League remains, like we said before, remains the, the monkey on their backs. But like Matt said earlier, um, it's not the normal Champions League this season, is it? Teams yeah. aren't playing at home. There's no fans. Bayern Munich, the holders aren't playing that well, really, by their standards. Juventus have gone out. Barcelona have gone out. So, you know, the path looks clear for them to have a real, really, really good chance of winning the Champions League. But, you know, strange things have happened to City in the Champions League in uh, in recent seasons, and um, you wouldn't you wouldn't be confident they could go on and win it. They should they should in theory because they're the best team in Europe probably at the minute. But yeah, you know it's, it doesn't always pan out like you think, does it? But yeah, look, they they're back on the horse, aren't they? They're back to winning ways, and I don't think you can read anything into that defeat to United. It was just just one of those days where things just didn't work out. For them. Yeah, it, it it did feel like they're back on the horse, Andy, didn't it? I mean, City have been so yeah. so dominant. You know, we had to have a blip sooner or later, but it's you know straight back on. Yeah, but and and you know when you say a blip, it, it was a blip, and and you're right. These things, you know, law of averages suggest that you're going to lose a game at some point, and and also there's going to be circumstances that will contribute to you losing a game. I mean, watching that game on Sunday or reflecting on it, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, United. You know, everyone says they deserved it. Well, yeah, they probably they deserved it. They won the game, so their game plan worked. You know, but let's face it. I, I mean, uh, without Gabriel Jesus's rather, you know, bizarre intervention inside a minute, you know, when a player is covered by, what, two, three defenders. I mean, let, let's face it. It was a brainstorm from Gabriel Jesus that has, that has sent United ahead within a minute. You know, that changes the whole dynamic of the game. Yeah. So, you know, it... There's no what I'm trying to say. There's no legislating for that sort of individual mistake. You would expect City to come back from that, and they didn't. So, so United deserved it to that extent. Though, so, you know, the one thing that really strikes me, and I was thinking about this when when we were talking about Liverpool as well, um, is what, what I think is amazing this season about Manchester City is how many fit players they've got. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, last weekend, ahead of the Manchester derby, Guardiola gave his um, 
press conference. And he said, you know, he had an entirely fit squad. And when, and when you bear in mind, you know, his squad is about the size of the UN Congress or whatever, you, you know, it, it, that is some numbers to have entirely fit. Even Nathan Ake was fit, if you can remember. I was going to say, even Nathan Ake. Nathan Ake. Didn't he play in the Premier League? Even he's fit. Honestly, no no word of a lie. I wrote to Connor the day in which Nathan Ake, and I can't quite remember why he did, but he featured quite prominently in it. Oh, I was writing about John Stones and how he must have felt when Nathan Ake was signed. And Nathan Ake featured quite prominently. And my dad rang me up and said, isn't he still at Bournemouth? I mean, like, you know, and, and that is, I said, no, he's not. It, it, it's it's an interesting to me. I know. It's but, small, small but going back to it, going back to it, I, I just, and I, I thought to myself, you, you know, and then I was thinking about Liverpool and about their injuries. Mm. And, you know, obviously in addition to um, Van Dijk, there are, there are several other injuries. I mean, you know, Gomez and, and, and Henderson. And they've had injuries you know, um, throughout the season, groups, clusters of injuries going on. And, and other teams have, maybe not, not not massive amounts, but I just thought that if, if you're thinking the first weekend in March, okay, the fixtures are a bit delayed because we started late, but even so, you know, with, with only a dozen games left, 11 games left, what team, what squad could possibly, you know, everyone is fit. And that's just, you know, that is just a huge help. I mean, it also made me think as well. Sorry, they've had COVID and they've had COVID yeah. as well. You know, so no one's got COVID anymore. No one's, and they have, and, and so every game now we get the same narrative, don't we? You can an hour before the game, you can write every story on social media. Just look at City's bench. Wow! Yeah. So you can cut and paste that comment for every single game now. You know, they could have a and City's bench is unbelievable. That also made me think. You know, all those people who were on Pep's side saying you should be allowed five substitutes. Well, I mean, can you imagine if you had five substitutes? He could have put five on at once against United. So it's a good job that didn't happen. Do you think it's down to luck or... Well, that's... I mean, obviously his luck comes into it, but do you think it's also down to how he manages his players, how he trains them? Well, I I agree with you, Jeremy. I agree 100%, but Andy, you'd say... No, no, go go on. And that's why, in a a, a long-winded way, that's exactly what I was was going to come on to, is that if you're, say, someone like Klopp, um, and and you're going to look at that, and think, okay, there's bad luck involved, isn't it? You, you know, I mean, you can't legislate for for Pickford on Van Dyke, for example. You can't legislate for certain injuries happening. That is just, you know, collision injuries, for example. That's just that just happens in, in any circumstance. But there comes a time when when people have to look at Man City and think, uh, and and you know, other teams, and and then and think, well, well, how, what are they doing different? Are they doing something different? And basically, it's, it's, it, I would have thought it's investing in the best. It's investing in the best research medically. Investing oh, in the best so people to look after them, you know that is all part now of very much a part of the modern game is having your players fit and ready to go. You know, having them recovering from injury as quickly as possible, having as many players as you can in peak condition, managing you know when players aren't you know maybe at their best and when to have them inside in the side and out, and of course when you've got that many numbers, it helps that you can make five or six changes every single game which Guardiola is now doing. I would have thought it averages about six every game. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. By the way, just, just one, I, yeah. I'll, I'll end on this, but it, it also becomes a feat of management if you can then keep all those players happy. Yeah. Yes, it, it really does. It's interesting because I think the introduction, the commentator's introduction for every single game is Man City have made five changes today. Yeah. 
it's remarkable. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. they do it. In, you know, they do it in defence at least at least one or often two. They, they make the, you know shift around the sort of kind of the midfield, even the shape. Yeah. And you know, sometimes they'll play with who's just up front. Sometimes they'll play a false nine. It's every single week. And and frankly, we, you know, just to prove, we do look at the, the the readers' comments. We've had one here from Anthony Callahan that, that, that basically says City man for man are, are not a truly great team. However, the manager has a unique style of play. That's the mystery that other managers need to fix without Guardiola. There'll be a different animal. It's, it's a view. I, I'm not sure, you know, the discussion we've had, you know, we, we necessarily uh, 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 agree with that, Anthony. The, uh, another one is Alan Chamberlain, really. Uh, lucky ball over the line, 2005. Embarrassing comment. I think they, I think he must be looking at you, Matt. But um, but it, it, <laughs> if it wasn't a goal, it wouldn't have been a penalty. It would have been sent off. From, uh, yeah, I was there. I was I was there. I remember it too well, Alan. Those, to, those to, are the final well, But the no, it was um, it was Garcia. you know what? Oh, yeah, Garcia. Yeah, man scores goal shot. One, one of the one of the one of the great, absolutely one of the great, um, uh, you know, European stories. Yeah. Uh, Garcia, just to finish, Alan's got a point. Tell me. One last thing. Mm. People have quickly forgotten, and this is this is the ultimate compliment to how good they have been this season. David Silva left in yes. the last, in last season. Great one of the greatest players to ever play in English football. And they have not missed him one job. Mm. And that that, that speaks volumes for how good they have been and how he's turned turn them over and tweaked them and adapted to losing Silva because he was a proper Rolls Royce in the football. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on as ever. Um, Matt, let's move on to um, Chelsea because it is a big week for them. Um, you know, it was a big win for them actually on Monday night. I thought that was a statement victory against Everton. I know you're at West Ham, but it's you know it, it put themselves themselves in pole position by beating a, a clear rival, um, and. You know, they've got Leeds Saturday, Atletico next week. They're already ahead in that tie. So they've got pole position to go through to the, to the quarters. Thomas Tuchel, blimey, what a record and what a run he's having. It's justified, Matt, isn't it? They're, they're doing yeah, great, those, Chelsea. All those Frank lovers, I don't know what they're going on about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, what do they know? What do they know? <laughs> I'll tell you what, what's impressed me about uh, Tuchel from the start was he came in, he made mm. no bones about the fact he was in there to get them in the top four. That was what he was told to do. Um, uh, he's basically he's laid out, well, I'm here to do this. I'll do it my way. Uh, and he's gone about and done it. Uh, and everyone knows what the target is. Everyone knows you can't let up for a second there. I do, I'm slightly nervous about that 1-0 win against Atletico because the away goals now against them. Uh, and in these days where home advantage doesn't seem to mean much, it's a narrow lead to take back to Stamford yes. Bridge. Yeah. And that could come back. It looks on paper as a great result, but that could come back to bite them uh, if they're not on it. And the one thing that Tuchel seems to be doing to his players at the moment is getting them all on it. You know, he's mm. had his spats with Callum hudson Doy. They all seem to have worked out well at the moment. Everything, every decision he makes seems to be working. Um, and, and a true measure of how good a manager he is and how much tolerance they've got for him at Stamford Bridge comes when they have a lull, which they haven't had yet. So, mm. um, you know, the, the proof of that pudding... Will be in the eating, hope you know, possibly even next season. Um, but but in terms of the running, you know, he's just done it, come in and done exactly what he said he was going to do. Um, you know, just the, the abrasive nature of, of his character hasn't had time to really gnaw away at the players yet. So he's the sort of manager who does get instant results. Um, 
but you know that's what he was brought in to do. You know, I think that the measure of how successful a manager he is going to be at Chelsea come next season, when when the the players that they spent so much money on last summer have had a year at the club, and he'll be expected to challenge for the title, and that's quite a big expectation still to put on that squad because although they're putting together some results, I'm not sure they're still at the level of being able to challenge City over a 38 game season. No, no. I, I must say one of the things that I took away that maybe, you know, you don't see if, you, if you're watching at home, which, you know, uh, fans will, will miss from not being in the stadium was the way that Tuchel was on Timo Werner's case so yeah. much during the game. Wow. I don't know whether that came across in the TV coverage because it was there. But wow, that was so noticeable. So, you know, so uh, such a big thing, I have to say. And I must say, you know, if they're going to take that next step, Andy, they, mm. they probably need to improve the strike force, don't they? Yeah, or Werner needs to improve his finishing. It's a good point you make about about what you see when you're actually there at the stadium. You know, I, mm. I, the last time I saw them live was at Anfield for their win, um, for their 1-0 win there. And I was mightily impressed by them. And and mm. more so because you're there and you're seeing the work that's being done off mm. the ball. The runs are being made off the ball with just absolutely incredible. You know, he's got them playing how exactly how he wants to play, the interchange, the fluidity across the front, you know, with Mounds and Werner was exceptional. I mean, and Golo Kante didn't start the other day, did he? But he, he starts yeah. against Liverpool and he was, he was exactly as you would expect N'Golo vintage N'Golo Kante to be. Um, he just has them very well organised and incredibly. I mean, it looks as though, now this is probably just a, because they're doing well and because they're organised, they're making these, these runs all over the park. It maybe it has the illusion to me that they look fitter, you know. And and I don't know whether this. I don't want to harp on about fitness, etc. But I do think it's becoming a big thing. And I think what you'll find is that to the long term, you know, the emphasis on how far you run. You know, he's mm. referenced how far Kante run in. He said he thought the stats were from two players, not from one player. And I think, you know, you will, and as you say, he was on Werner's case, the game you ran, you will not get away under Thomas Tuchel. I'm not saying that you got away with it under Frank Lampard either, but you certainly will not get away under Thomas Tuchel for not, to use an old-fashioned phrase, putting a shift in, because mm. that was as hard-working, quick, incisive a Chelsea side I've seen for a while when I saw them at the, the Anfield. You know, so from that point of view, and it's interesting, you mentioned the sort of, you know, he's had the tete-a-tete with sort of, Hudson Adoy, well, it wasn't so much that. He, he sort of basically put down his marker, and Hudson Adoy has had to fall into line, which I guess what happens when you're a new manager and, and you know, you've got the the full backing of the board. Um, but no, I'm impressed with what he's done. You can't argue with the organisation that he's brought to the team. It just looks, it just looks a very disciplined, very robust, very quick, decent team. And as you say, you, you know, if, if they can find you know, more goals uh, from the chances they create. And as I say, that that might be someone else coming in. That might be Werner um, capitalising on the outstanding work he does. Mm. You know, then... But I mean, because he's so selfless, Werner, in a way, that's that often happens, doesn't it? If you're making selfless yeah, runs, yeah. you know, and you're not just thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm going to save my energy just to get that one run that might give me a chance. Then maybe that happens. But yeah. incredibly impressed. It, it, it's hard not to be impressed with what Tuchel's done. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, do you think um, the dark horses for the Champions League? Or is that a bit of a stretch? To win the trophy? I yeah. do. No, I do. Mm. I do think that. I, I, I do think that's, that, you know, just because Tuchel has brought a new energy and he's got a history and he's got a record in Europe, 
he's got a pedigree there. I agree that the basic this game at the Atletico is not settled. You know, no. Atletico are very good. You know, defensively, they are, so they many players. They're getting a few back now. They don't you know, score. But they they were missing serious players. They've been missing serious players. Atletico approach that game because they have to be more ambitious. Well, they do, but we've been here before with with Diaz and and he is very good tactically. Every time we write him off as being finished, washed up, and boring, you know, he goes and surprises us. Frankly, um, so so there you go. Uh, oh, there's, there's an interesting comment from George Cook actually, who just says, "Do, do, do you see that about Tuchel? I think it means just because fans aren't there, oh, yeah. would you notice what Tuchel was doing if it was a packed stadium?" Well, the answer to that, George, is that actually, do you know what? On Monday. Uh, 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 it was a weird game and it, because there were no fans there, you didn't have lack and intensity and a noise mm. and something to drive the players forward. And then for the first half an hour, George, I, I, I swear it was, I was thinking, oh, this is so dull. This is so, and it was probably actually quite a good quality game. But without fans, without that kind of motivation, that's what you miss. But you do get a silence in the stadium which which yeah. then m- makes it easier to notice too short. And I don't know that that's necessarily, you know, his histrionics on the touchline is he, he's picked up on, on, on the mm. TV. I don't think when I watch games where I'm not at, I don't know that, you know, you get those histrionics from the manager and it's so noticeable with too short. Mm. It is with Hasenhukel as well, actually. It's it's interesting. Listen, guys, well, I just want to... Quick, to... Qu- quickly, John, oh, we just better tell George that at Chelsea, we're, we're virtually sat in a dugout anyway, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Even there's 40,000 people there. George, you, the points, mate. I don't think you could we'll actually give, we'll give reach you it now, you George can touch one of the, Yeah, you can literally touch all the substitutes because the substitutes yeah. are in the, in the sort of in the next block to you. And when I say block, I literally mean the next row of seats. Yeah. It's from, it is, it's, yeah, it's, it's strange how these different grounds do different things, mm. but it's, it's, it's a, been a real eye opener. Listen, Jeremy, I want to ask you about Man United because you've written about this today and a backroom. Um, I'd like to call it reshuffle, but it feels as if it's not really. Everyone's been given a, given a new title and kind of new new responsibility under the yeah. under the heading, if you like. They've probably got a pay rise. Let's be honest, new contract, and um, and isn't that how it works? And then basically, but it's all staying the same, isn't it? Let's break it down for us. What's happened? Yeah, so it's rather complicated. But to cut a long story <laughs> short, about two years ago, Edward Wood, the executive vice chairman made it clear they wanted to appoint a director of football. Um, he wanted, he's been wanting to do it for longer than that, actually, but Joe, when Jose was manager, he basically refused to accept one. So he, they had to shelve that plan until they got rid of Mourinho. Um, so two years in the making, you know, we've seen a host of names mentioned um, from various places around the world. Edwin van der Zaal was one that was heavily linked with the jobs. He's done such a great job at Ajax and obviously has strong links to United. So fans were, you know, getting excited about who could be coming in in this, what is a crucial role. And then obviously United make a big announcement yesterday that it's going to be a guy who's already been there seven years <laughs> who no one really has ever heard of. Um, uh, so it was quite underwhelming, really. They United seemed convinced that this guy um, is the man to do that role, um, and it's a huge, a huge job for him. Um, so that Darren Fletcher has obviously been promoted as well. Um, he'll stay out, stay on the coaching staff until the end of the season, then switch roles. And look, I've got nothing against 
John Murtor or Darren Fletcher, um, both good guys, um, been involved in football a long time. Obviously, Darren had a great career at United, but it just all felt a bit of a damp squib. Um, you know, do these guys have the gravitas needed for that role? Probably not. Um, let's give them a chance. But I suppose Ed Woodward is trying to share the workload, dilute his own role a little bit, and um, he's decided to go for Murta. Now, my first thought was, he's on a hiding to nothing, John Murta, because he mm. will now be responsible for transfers. Mm. And if those transfers don't work, he'll be like a human shield for Ed Woodward, basically. Yeah. He'll take the blast from the critics and deflect it all from Woodward, who ultimately signs the checks with the Glazers' permission, of course. So it's an interesting sort of complex narrative about what's how it's going to work. But having waited for them to appoint someone for, for, for a long, long time, it all just felt a bit of a anti-climax. Yeah. It's a bit weird, the Darren Fletcher thing, after, after Saturday, you know. It's just, I just don't, I, you know, sort of kind of coming from, you know, playing... Everyone says what a great guy he is, which he absolutely, you, you know, in, in sort of kind of conversations, you've probably seen him after dinner speaking and stuff, you know, comes across brilliantly. Um, coaching and then into elevated into this role. I couldn't yeah. quite, I can't quite work that out. Are you, are you doing it because he's viewed as, you know, a United figurehead or are you doing it because he has knowledge and nous and expertise in that role? I think it's partly because Solskjaer absolutely is really close with him. Is he? Um, right. Yeah. And whenever you mention Darren Fletcher's name to Oliver Gunnar Solskjaer, he, he's re- he reveres about him generally. Right. He just talks right. so enthusiastically about him, holds him in such high esteem. You have to trust that Solskjaer is right. I mean, we don't know the inner workings of a, of a complex club like United, mm. such a massive club with a thousand staff. But, you know, what, what always staggers me about United is, they're always reluctant to go look look out of the box. Do you know what I mean? Look, yeah. look do something left field. They're the you know they're like it's like a chain of command. It's like a regurgitation of of people who've already been there in a previous role. Do you know, I mean, look at Solskjaer mm-hmm. he's now the manager. He's doing a half decent job, but he ex player now manager. You know, it's just a bit. I think it's a bit limited in terms of their vision. Mm. Should honest, they've gone outside? Should they have gone? It never felt. It never felt. You might be. You know. You might. You might prove me wrong here. But it never felt they were particularly close to getting from any, anyone from outside. There was talk about Paul Mitchell, but I always felt that yeah. came from Paul Mitchell. <laughs> um, and and you know, it's. It, I don't know. It didn't I think it would have been nice to see someone from outside come in because it's a fresh pair of eyes on on, a, on an mm. institution. What is an institution? And you know, you've got to remember people like. Fletcher and Murta have already been embedded in the United way. So they have mm-hmm. a certain way of working and looking at things. Whereas a fresh pair, like a Van der Zaar, for example, can yep. bring new ideas in and come look at things from a different angle. Mm-hmm. But no, the, I thing, agree with you. the thing is, John, if I understand what you're saying, but and if you but if you think, you know, bringing in someone outside would be bringing in someone outside Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And, 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 and it's very interesting what Jeremy says about the relationship Solskjaer has with Fletcher, that's clearly key to all this. And clearly he's developed a relationship with Murtaugh as well. And clearly they all work well together, which is why Ed Woodward has now formalised that working relationship. You know, he doesn't mm. want... He, he got, he, Edward, listen, the guy in charge, to me, I look at that and I think Ed Woodward is more in charge than he's ever been. 
You, you know, right. I look at Dan and think, well, hang on a minute. You, you, you know, he can control everything, can't he? Absolutely. The two people who, 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 who you know, who directly answer, who directly go to Edward Wood are will be Mato and, and Solskjaer, I assume. And, you know, the, 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 that is, he's in control. And also, you know, if you bring in a name from outside, mm. then that automatically brings in a dynamic of, you know, Solskjaer is still, while he is still Manchester United manager, he's still not a big name manager as such, is he? You know, he, I yeah. mean, let's get that right. He's still not what you would call one of the elite coaching cabal, the the Tuchels, the Marinos, the, the Guardiolas, the Nagelmans, even the Klops, et cetera, et cetera, the Pochettinos. He's still not considered one of those type of coaches. Now, hopefully he will be in time if it works out for him. So if you bring in someone, um, you know, who's been around doing that director of football thing alongside him, then it can undermine him. This does, this, this, this in no way, you know, yes, these, these, these appointments might well be underwhelming to the outside. They're underwhelming maybe to a lot of Manchester United fans. But what they are is they don't undermine the manager. You know, you know, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is still there. You still get the feeling he has the final say on tactics, the final say on the way Manchester United played, the final say on, on transfers. Um, so that's what, what basically Edward would, is, to me, this is a huge vote of confidence in Solskjaer. It really yeah. is. This tells I, me I that, that, they, they, that Woodward genuinely thinks, you know, this is long-term. I mean, yeah, this triumvirate of Solskjaer, Mirto and Fletcher is long-term. Whether or not it'll have the success that, that United should be having, I'm really not sure. No. Well, this he is what it screams, doesn't it? We've got our man, basically. Listen, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to 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 the North London derby on on Sunday. Matt, you, you and I are both there. I know. Listen, it used to be a bit of a heavyweight clash. This in in recent times. I mean, you know, Isn't sort it? of. Well, yeah, it, it felt well, like it felt it? like it did. It felt like it used to be a in recent years. It used to be a battle for top four, and now. It feels either way, Clash. I think Spurs yeah. has still got a chance of top four, if yeah. I'm honest. Um, yes, I what I find staggering, Matt, what I find absolutely staggering is Arsenal fans at the moment. And maybe it's refreshing, actually. Maybe it's a good thing that basically they, they, they are not more upset about being marooned in mid table. Because make no mistake about it, under George Graham, they wouldn't have settled for it. Uh, under Arsene Wenger, they wouldn't have settled for it. But they bought into it under Mikel Arteta, and and I, I, you know, what's, what's your take on it? Why have well, Arsenal's kind of expectations sort of changed a little bit? Forget the points. I was, I, I do like uh, delving into the stats, as you know, a little bit. Yes. Um, and twenty-seven games into a season, they've never had uh, fewer goals uh, than the, this century than they have well. at the moment. So we're only 21 years into it, I would say. That. Sorry, 27 only 21 games years. Into the season. Oh, at this stage yeah. of the season, yeah, yeah. century they've never had fewer goals at this yeah. stage of the season. Yeah. So they're not only not winning games, but they're being boring. Mm. Uh, and I thought that was what Arsenal. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if we don't get the results. It's all about playing the entertaining football. Well, okay, it might be entertaining, but it's it's the Andy Dunn entertainment where you get lots of passes, but no end Why bring me into that? <laughs> just, just remembering all your passes like from before. But uh, but yeah, but no, I mean they're not scoring goals. They don't particularly. There's no one there when when I go to watch Arsenal. Yeah, you know, on the occasions that you might actually play and turn up, you might go and watch Meza Herzl. When you go to Spurs, you want to go and watch Gareth Bale now, uh, you know, as a neutral. You want to perhaps even go and see Deli Ali if he's playing. Mm. 
who's who apart from Saka to a limited degree, who in that Arsenal team are you going to watch? You know, Saka an, to a limited degree. I don't I think he's I on think his way. Saka I think he's one of the best he's 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 arguably the best young player in the country. Yeah, I think and he's I on take his way. that into Right. I think he needs to do it a few more times. Once oh, he's I think he's so consistent. Out. He's no, the one that's failing Arsenal he's, out. He's, he's the one sort of light at the end of the tunnel. I think mm. he's the saving grace. I do think he's a fantastic player, but with all lots, so many bright young players burst onto the scene with a bit of bait mm. uh, and look like world beaters and then don't quite make it. You know, Arsenal seem to have had several of those over the years. You know, you, you, you know, Theo Walcott was never a bad player, but he never quite was the player that we hoped he'd be as a youngster, um, then, you know, it's, it's that sort of player, that, the, the Aaron Lennons of this world, who you think when they first start out, we're going to be talking about this guy for decades and actually don't quite remember that. Saka is, is started off on the same trajectory. If he can accelerate away like he does accelerate away from defenders and keep doing it, then, yeah, well, you know, he'll be the mainstay of the England team, hopefully, for the next 10 years um, but it's still early days but he's the one player I, I don't think yet you go and see him on his own he doesn't he's not the price of admission as the old phrase goes it's a, but Arsenal don't have any of those players I don't know who you go and watch Aubameyang can score goals but you know can also miss them uh, and that's the problem there's no one exciting about there's nothing exciting about Arsenal at the moment no, I, I do agree with you. I must say they've become a boring, boring watch under under Wenger. You know, everyone knows that had to, to to you know finish and come to an end. But they entertained you. You know, they sort of kind of set out to entertain and pass the ball and move it. And you know, under under Arteta, it feels so clunky, so you know, so robotic. It does. You know, it's, it's going to be robotic like, if you get rid of players like. Without being funny, if you get rid of players like Mesutoza, it's going to feel robotic. That's what you want, isn't it? You don't want anyone mercurial or anyone with a... You want, with, to, you want him to do it 38 games a season to justify the price yeah. of admission, not just twice. Well, maybe, um, but but, but now, now you're yeah. accused of being robotic and one-dimensional and you get rid of a player who's it, it, it two-dimensional. I, I think, you know, I, I just wonder, though, John, whether or not... Mm. When you say fans sort of now accept this. Well, not say accept it, but, but you know, they're, they're not kicking up as much of a... A fuss about being in mid tables as I might have mm. asked. I do think that I, I do think you know overall looking from the outside, you think well, there's also an element that you know it's going to be tough to get back to that um, situation where which they were decried for, of course, at the time, permanent top four fixtures. You know, you know, everyone took the Mickey out of Wenger for, for for essentially you know finishing top four every single season. I don't know how many was on the spin, but it was an awful lot, wasn't it? Um, and, and now that's not going to be that. If you look at it, if you're an Arsenal fan or you're a neutral, realistically, you look at it and you think, hang on a minute, you know, this is going to be tough because there are a number of sides now who are improving and you have financial backing. You know, all of a sudden, a team like, for example, like Everton, mm. you know, I've got a great manager. They're probably improving a little bit, but they've also got the backing of, ironically, Fahad Mashiri, you know, who, probably, you know, was in some way connected with Arsenal. Or, well, and all of a sudden now, Everton is an attractive destination for a player. Leicester City, I've got a good financial bank, and a mm. good manager, a good setup. just opened a new training facility, which is, you know, world-class like so many clubs are now. So all of a sudden, they're a viable alternative to Arsenal. There are more viable alternatives to a club like Arsenal now than there ever have been. And, that, and we haven't even started them with Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Spurs. 
all of a sudden now we're talking eight, nine, almost, you know, 10 clubs. Look at West Ham. You know, they've got a 60,000-seater stadium. Again, with good financial backing. And that might change if, in the not-too-distant future, the current ownership sell up. Can you imagine who they would sell to and then put money into that club? So I think long-term, you know, the issues are for for Stan Kroenke and for the Arsenal board and to think how are we going to compete now to make sure we get back to the days that, as I say, we were pilloried for when top four, a top four finish, you know, wasn't exactly a brilliant, but at least it got us there every season. I used to go out in the open top bus every year. Just going back to Saka, do you think he'll still be at Arsenal next season? Next season, yes. I don't, if I'm brutally honest, I don't think so long term because you can't. I mean, it's just an absolute jewel. I mean, my point is this that basically, I think that by you know, of this, who are the best two young players in the country at the moment who stand out by an absolute mile? I think you know, and I'm talking young players in the country because Jude Bellingham's in, in Dortmund, you know, I think fabulous generational talent there, slightly different, obviously. But it depends what you mean by young, of, I guess, of, of their type. Well, Foden's 20, and I mean Phil Foden and I mean Saka. Is he not? And, 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 and I get and, and and I just think the reason I go for Saka over Foden, who I think is unbelievably exciting, by the way, brilliant, um, is because he's he Saka is just doing it week in, week out, saving his team every single mm. game. Honestly, his talent is unbelievable. Do you think if he carries on playing at this level between now and the Euros, if you were Southgate, would he start him in the team? Oh, J- Jeremy, I wouldn't just start him. I've been playing him up front yeah, in, as part of the front three. Because at the moment, I think he's penciled in for left wing back. And I know we've had this Luke Shaw love, but one thing that Gareth Southgate is, he's loyal. And so basically, G- Gareth Southgate, you know, will have heard the noise and watched, you know, sort of Shaw producing brilliant performances, best form for a long, long time, and said, well, actually, yeah, great, I'll get him in the squad and and, and that would be a good option. But to me, Gareth Southgate sticks with Saka because he's been he's been loyal to him and been good for him and basically he's been outstanding at left wing back. The bigger dilemma for me is that when you break down that front three, I mean, Sancho missed the, the, you know, the qualifiers later this month. I think Saka's in the conversation because he's just sensational. You know, playing, he really is. Right, John, or... Well, uh, you, you could play him either side, I feel. Raheem Sterling's quite a man to get past, isn't he? If well, he is, but, right. they, you know, Sterling is often quite effective from the left, cutting in, or, and, and, and vice versa. Rashford, well, he's playing injured, actually. So. I'll tell you what, Rashford needs a break. Well, he's been flogged to death. <laughs> yeah. He's ridiculous. Same, same Maguire. He's 45 games, Rashford. Yeah. He looks Maguire's dead on his feet. 41. You know, he needs he, he, maybe maybe this injury might give him a little bit of a break. Yeah, you know, because he needs it. You know, yeah. he's save. You know, needs a break from saving the country. Let alone playing Man United. <laughs> frankly, he definitely brings it in, but within games itself. By the way, from from what I've seen of Rashford over the last two or three months, he's had plenty of breaks during an actual match. So I don't think he actually needs games off. For goodness' sake, these would be sixty odd games this season. <laughs> I mean, it's much the Liverpool side won the league in the sixties. I have told you they used 14 players all season. Have I ever told you that stat? Yeah, like stat. What about Aston Villa? What about Aston Villa? Yeah, Aston Villa won the league. 14 oh, players all season. Do you know what? That, that, hey, that, that standard of football, including that a run to the speed of football has got no relevance to, to today, by the way. So, oh, right, sorry? That, that speed and style of football has got no relevance to today, by the way. How can have no relevance? It's the same game. I'm not sure that it is. Honestly, really? Yeah, really. This, this is one for another. This is one for another anyway. another week because I want to talk about 
now the battle to beat the drop and basically i wanted to express some fulham love because you know everyone's got a soft spot i think for, for fulham if you live in london haven't they well i don't know not maybe not if you support chelsea i don't know but basically who is now most at risk by scott parker's remarkable resurgence i mean talk about getting the best out of loan players andy um but no who is most at risk brighton or newcastle brighton Fed up of being patronised a little bit. You know, don't they play well? Aren't they wonderful football? Well, they're not winning matches. Newcastle? Well, let's discuss. Who's most at risk, guys? Who do we think? I think it's a toss of a coin between Brighton and Newcastle. Mm. And Brighton have won one game at home all season. Crazy. I know what you're saying about patronising and everything. And they did, look, they're a great club. They're helpful. They are Super. accommodating. They play. Potter's a great guy. They play some good stuff. But ultimately, it's about winning games and they have not won enough games. I mean, if one game summed them up, it was, it was losing to Leicester. But, you know, yeah. they went ahead, lost lost, lost, lost at the death. They sort of encapsulated their season, really. They've produced some good stuff. But to win one game at home all season, I don't know if that's an issue with not having any fans there. I don't know, but it's just that that's... And they've, they've got... They have got quite a tough running as well. So, but then you look at Newcastle. You know, <laughs> where do you start with Newcastle? I mean, clearly there are issues going on left, right, and centre. We saw the story, didn't we, about Bruce having a having a fight with well, an altercation, shall we say, with Matt Ritchie. Apologise afterwards. Bruce looks and acts like a man. I've got a look. I like Steve Bruce, but he's he's now acting and looking like a man under severe pressure, and. Um, you know, they're obviously missing, the, their injuries are mounting up and Callum Wilson's injured still. He's their main threat for goals. So uh, they have got, and I, I just checked actually, I've, they've got in, they've got a run of games in April, play Spurs, mm-hmm. West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester and Man City. Now, yeah. on paper, you can't seem getting a point from those games. So that, that could be, that could be what finishes Newcastle off actually, because you think Fulham have got the momentum now. They've run through the last six games. Beat Liverpool obviously last time out. Got a great belief in Parker, um, very resilient, full of character. Um, so I fancy Fulham to survive. Oh, Newcastle actually play Fulham, don't they, on the last game of the season? Oh, what a game that is! So, what a game that is! And we talk that, about that, the rouse, rouse you know, about the fans. Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you what, our, our friend Alan Chamberlain's back actually with a very good point. Brighton have missed um, Tarek Lamptey so much, another great young talent. He's right, you know. He's absolutely right. And Lalana. He's, 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 and Lalana. Yeah, Lalana's just well, not really. got it together, is he? Yeah. He's no, just not if, produced if you could keep him fit between now and the end of the season. Well, that's the trouble. Right the now, biggest thing for me is goals. Yeah. Well. yeah, they're just not, they've not got a goal scorer. They really haven't. Listen, guys, I do want to shine a light on the Champions League reforms. I mean, it, it was a topic of discussion yesterday, European League's meeting. It's very interesting the points that you know Steve Parish and sort of Christian Perslow from Palace and Villa respectively sort of raised. Look, it's a you know we all know it's happening, but it's just whether they can kind of claw anything back. I, I guess it's definitely happening. Make no bones about that. But it's just you know the Swiss model has it got its merits? Are they doing the right thing, guys? Are they destroying English football as we know it? Who wants to take? I think, like like all things from Swiss Swiss model, it's got massive great holes in it. Isn't it? It's like the cheese, you know. It, it, you can't run a system on that. It, it, it was introduced in the late 1900s. After we did a bit of research for hmm. for the competitions of bridge, Scrabble, and um, and chess, 
that's that's what it's designed for. It's not a football competition where it's all about competing on the pitch. It's about, you know, it's just a complete farce that they're trying to organise a system where no one will know. Managers complain about anything, but to complain that they've had an easy lot of fixtures compared to a, a somebody else having, you know, tougher fixtures on the luck of a draw, you can't draw up a league table when you've only played half the teams. You know, that for a start is wrong in football. It's all about integrity of the competition and everyone you have to beat everybody else. So so that's completely wrong for starters. We all know it's an excuse to try and hive off a couple of places for those with a decent um you know coefficient. So so the big clubs get looked after. So it couldn't have been a better week than the one in which Juventus and Barcelona crashed out at quarter final stages. because yeah, there are no guarantees in football, and nor should there be. Um I think the whole thing's just ill-conceived. No one will understand it. And is there that much appetite? How many how many away trips can fans afford to go to? We talk about this season, you know, reminding us how it's all about the fans in the stadiums, you know, bringing it home. But how many away trips, how many away group games do you need? Mm. Uh, and you'll pick and choose, and you won't go to those that, that aren't the big ones. Uh, and, you know, it just sounds like there's going to be – it's all for broadcasters – you know, it's going to eat into the domestic competitions. It's just more European football than I think we need. I think the excitement about what European football says to me, it's the best clubs in the continent competing against each other, you know, to see who the best is, not to see who the 35th and 36th best team in the continent is. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I just think it is as well. it's just greed. It's, it's, pure it's greed. That's a, the bottom line is it's more 100 more games. Four yeah. more European fixture fixtures before Christmas. I mean, you speak to any manager, and most of them will advocate a, a break at Christmas just because the season is so demanding. These players, mm. like alluded to earlier, playing so many games. I know they're young and fit and all that, but there's only so much they can take. You're talking about piling more games on, on teams and players, pushing them to even greater limits. But it's all equates to more games equals more money, more sponsorship, more broadcast revenue. More money in the pot. And yeah. that's what it all boils down to, money. Yeah. I think the current group system is dying. I, I think that does How need another group. We covered down the years that have just felt meaningless. I could Absolutely. So we need, we need to re- rejig that. And yeah. I do think there's, there's logic in this, but I totally get the point because it will kill the League Cup. Well, Steve it will Harris kill the League Cup. Steve Harris spoke very well about that, didn't Brilliantly. He? That yeah, League yeah. Cup forms a third of the income for the EFL. But let's face it, there's been a lot of people trying to kill a league cup for many, many years. Certain sections of of of, um, of Orange Street included. I mean, let's face it, the League Cup hasn't had any sort of you know um, real support. And the problem you've got with this, I agree with everything that, that, that everyone has said um here. Um but what I would say Looking at it realistically, the problem that you have to address, I think we would all agree, yes, they're doing it because they want more games, more money, more TV revenue, blah, 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 blah. Yes, 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 and yes. However, the issue you're going to have is it tell our clubs, tell Manchester City, tell Manchester United, tell Liverpool that, that this isn't required. You know, you, you have to tell the big clubs around Europe that, that this is a bad idea because the fact is they will not listen. Most of them will not listen. Some might but a lot of them will not listen to this to this idea and they will want, in one shape or form, the big clubs want a bigger slice of the pie. And that, they might not agree with this particular system, 
but that applies to English clubs as well. We all know they want a bigger slice of football's revenue because they think they're entitled to it because they are the big clubs. So whether that be Man United and Liverpool or Barcelona or AC Milan or Juventus, they're thinking, hang on, we're the teams that put the figures um, to the television and we want a bigger slice of that. And that and that underpins the, the entire... That's why we're always talking about breakaway leagues, Champions League expansions, um, new European leagues, you know, Project Big Picture... You name it, we've had them all, haven't we? Over, yeah. uh, uh, someone's been particularly bored over this lockdown. It's a cabal, and and they are, and they, they they are all these big clubs are forever exploring how they can get more money from commercials and revenues, and they will just keep doing that. And 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 they're the issues that we need to have. I'm not saying that English clubs would be particularly in favour of this model, but they will want one model down the line that guarantees them more income. Let's face it. But yeah, Andy, I think the British clubs, the English clubs, sorry, um, they're quite happy perhaps trying yeah. to go for a bigger slice of the domestic pie, which is yeah. a lot bigger than the pies they've got in other countries, if we're going to keep mm. that culinary metaphor going. Um, they're, uh, I mean, <laughs> they've always preferred, I think, ultimately, when push comes to shove, to stick with the Premier League yeah. and keep breaking off that amount of money. A lot of the pressure here is coming from Italy, who mm. oh, yeah. um, a load less than the Premier League clubs, uh, mm. and just want some of what the Premier League are doing all across Europe. Uh, and yeah. I just don't think that the English clubs, they're certainly not leading the way. They might get dragged into it if the money's right, but but there's no real will from the people I've spoken to to join in with Europe in quite such a way, which I think is the one mm. saving mm. grace of football is that actually the Premier League clubs, if anything, are putting something of a break on all this because the Spanish clubs with what's going on over there are going to be desperate for money. Yeah. Bayern Munich are desperate for competition. So, uh, you know, that's where all the, the, the push is coming from. Matt, and I think you, the Premier League if, clubs, but they might demand money from the rest of the Premier League clubs to stay, which is when it all starts getting a bit nice. Good, Matt, if, you, if, you, if you wanted a slice of a pie, what flavour would you want that pie to be? Oh, <laughs> oh don't. All this, all this, all this talk pie, about pies. Pie. All the chicken and out pies is making is making me incredibly hungry. <laughs> but listen, guys, I'm going to finish right with our fine and finally um, uh, uh, one at the end here and talk about because we got so worked up about it before the start of the show, which uh, you know, I guarantee you, Andy's column will be very good tomorrow. Um, <laughs> off that let's, in, let's, talk, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk Pressure's about TV. Me. Let's talk about TV. And I don't think any of us have ever watched quite so many football games and, 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 and televised football and football television uh, uh, as much as we have in the last, uh, you know, nine months or so, really, or six months, I should maybe say. So who is your favourite commentator, pundit, interviewer and why? Come on. Let, let's uh, can I go first before yeah, I do please, <laughs> please, please. Well, he's not on as, as often as he should be, but in my opinion, the best pundit to watch is Pat no. Patrice Everett. I just think he's so entertaining, compelling, passionate, like he was as a player, actually, a wonderful player for Man United and Juventus, but he's emblematic of what a pundit should be in 2021, in my opinion. He, he almost reduces himself to tears sometimes when he gets mm. on one. And he posts all these things on social media that are a bit wacky, slightly unhinged. And I think I disagree with me saying that, but he's my favourite pundit to watch. I can't, there are a lot of good pundits. I think Carragher's growing into the role. Um, Mika Richards, I've spoke about him before. He's developing a, some good skills on TV. 
Um, but we've seen some terrible pundits down the years, haven't we? Just Go Thierry on. Go on. Well, Thierry on Thierry, me. Because yeah, you're just so stale and boring. Yeah, they paid lots of money to make yeah. give opinions. Yeah. That's what their job is, to give their opinion, whether people like it or not. Make people talk about the game. That's what football's all about, opinion. We might always might always agree with them, but that's not the point. So Everett, for me, takes it... Yeah, you've got you've got to be willing, I think, to criticise uh, sort of your former team, you know, former team and what have you. We got onto this with Ian Wright actually, but basically, why on, yeah. why, on, why on earth he's having to apologise to Lacazette for for raising a very very valid argument is it, it, is beyond me. You know, it's great. I think when basically, you know, the fans are all talking about the screaming of the players. It's embarrassing. So I think it's great that pundits sort of be critical. So they they single out one particular player. That. No, I did, I did. Well, it, it could have been it could have been any player that were that week. I do agree with your wider point, but anyway, you're saving that for your and, column. So, but what I will do, Cross, is when you're talking about pundits and about whatever, I, I will use that particular sort of a scenario because the reason why that happened on match today, the reason why, in a way, Lacazette then got singled out, and as you as you know, they all finished off, didn't they? You know, with this scenario of them all screaming and, and whatever, mm. it's because they wanted a payoff line. Right, that's yeah. what they wanted. A match of the day has become, and Gary Lynn again, brilliant as he is. I mean, every program now needs a payoff line. Have you noticed this? It's a bit like when you're writing a match report or whatever. You want a payoff line, mm. so they always want a payoff line. They can't just go, "All right, okay," and that's it for today. Good night. Have a nice night's rest. And, and here's the goal that won the game today. There has to be a payoff now, and it's a, yeah. it, it, that that has existed for a long time. We think that we can't just end our reports with a full stop and say, "Right, that's it." For some reason, we think we need a, a clever, funny line to pay off. And sometimes it works. And match a day in particular. And sometimes the sub gets it, yeah. Yeah, but, but what I mean, <laughs> and Linux has been particularly good at this, hasn't he, with, with, with payoff lines. You know, you, this is the way to uh, to end the programme. It wraps it up and whatever. The problem you've got is that if you look for that for every single time you do the show, which they do, mm. there's going to be a time when, when you're making misjudgments. And I genuinely think that that was a misjudgment to end the show with basically ridiculing all three yep. pundits, ridiculing one man who happened to scream the same way that other players have screamed, including the likes of Harry Kane, etc. I don't think it would have been. I think certain players would have been spared the individual ridicule that Lacazette was given. But that all came from the payoff line, which brings me to Jimmy Hill, mm. who, like, you know, the great man. And, 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 and Jimmy was just, I mean, brilliant to me, you know, one of the original presenters, pundits, again, paved the way in that industry, in the same way that he paved the way in terms of players' wages, and brilliant, you know, and and and, and very few will ever live up to, to to Jimmy. But obviously, those of us who were lucky to actually do a couple of shows with Jimmy, when when he took over and the program on Sky between became Jimmy Hill Sunday Supplement. Now he fell into this trap as well of wanting a payoff line for every program, right? I mean, and that was it. Now, as you well can remember, it was Jimmy Brian will know, God rest us all, and a couple of journalists. And it's based in, the set was Jimmy Hill's kitchen. Mm. So the pretense, the construct, as you would call it, is Jimmy's kitchen. You know, to the extent where you would go out covering the game and, and someone would come to you and say, what's the rest of Jimmy's house like? And you would say, you know, look, it's really not Jimmy's kitchen. You know what I mean? The weather hasn't been the same outside Jimmy's kitchen window for two and a half years. You know, this really isn't his kitchen. So I, 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 it would be, you know, so it's, but Jimmy would... We'll try and you know keep up that pretense. So his payoff line at the end, in the same way that matches it used to be, right, guys, this is really interesting. But there's the guy at the door of my newspapers. We must go. 
And then that was it. Okay, Jimmy had a good payoff. And the next week, he would say, right, guys, it's been great. Oh, that's someone knocked at the door. It must be Mr. So-and-so next door wants a cup of sugar. And that was the whole pretense of the thing, the payoff line, whatever. And then one week, he said, guys, I've got to cut you short. I must go and base my meat, right? <laughs> and everyone burst out laughing in a childish sort of innuendo way. The whole, and whatever. And never again did that happen. And that was because he was searching for the ultimate payoff line. And it didn't work. And I just think going back to that, I mean, it seems to be going back to that, is if you look for a payoff line and they were looking for that and it didn't work with Lacazette, I thought it, 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 it held them up to, it held them up to, to accusations which they got, which I'm not sure that Wright should apologise for, for that they ridiculed um, Lacazette unnecessarily. Mm, yeah, there you go. Matt, come on in, follow that. And be quick, please, because I've got to go. Oh, you've got to go. Sorry, mate. Hearing Andy talking about Jimmy Hill liking a payoff line. I know he liked a payoff because I once had to pay him £2,000 for something I wrote about him. But, um, <laughs> right. That's the day. We'll revisit that next week. Um, I, I was given the option. I didn't want to be controversial on this one, so I just wanted to use this as an excuse to pay tribute to, to my favourite commentator still, um, who remains Barry Davis in amongst <laughs> the different voices we hear these days. Uh, it's a simple one. Anyone who's, uh, you know, obviously a great football commentator, but became iconic for, for his hockey commentary with uh, where are the Germans, frankly, who cares? Um, uh, and anyone who's seen the uh, 43rd annual uh, World Stare-Out Championships see a commentator on his masterclass worth of YouTube there. His commentary to that is absolutely remarkable. And it is a it is a lesson to modern commentators of when you don't have to speak at all, which I think is something that a lot of commentators still, despite, you know, still have to learn. Um, you know, we can see a lot of what's happening, which is what yeah. sort of annoys me about some of the punditry as well. Mm. I want a pundit who points out things that I haven't spotted. I remember Gary Neville once on a Monday night football explaining how a goal had been conceded um, because the right, the left fullback was out of position. So the centre-back was 10 yards further across and then his fellow centre-back had been pulled out of position, which meant they could attack down the right flank. This was something that Fergie would have explained to him at some point in his past. And, and that's the sort of technical knowledge that I want to see that I wouldn't necessarily get from the game. Um, not just someone saying, oh, he squeals a lot, doesn't he? Because we can all hear that. No, um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, Barry Davis, best Good commentator, and, and too much obvious punditry should be kicked out. Should be banned. Guys, thanks so much. Really <laughs> nice to see you <laughs> Yeah, I haven't got time for a payoff, so I'm going to love you and leave you and see you back here next week. <laughs> <laughs>